Good morning. I will be reading today's sermon passage. Um, I do admit it is a long one, um, but a very important passage. Um, Today's passage will be the chapter of Luke 22 in its entirety. Um, So if you would find that in your Bibles or follow along, I would invite you to stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. And let us read together. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished, prepare it there. And they went and found it, just as he had told them, and they prepared for the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And, said, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed." And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. A dispute also arose arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you knew me. 
And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, Nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled with me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow and said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When the day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes. And they led him away to their council, and they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? 
And he said to them, you say that I am. And they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. All right. Good morning. Thank you very much for being here. Yes, thank you very much for being here at MetroCrest as we uh, begin a short series looking at the last few chapters of the Gospel of Luke. Um, I'm so grateful to you, Neha, for reading that uh, long important passage that really is a a very precious passage to all of us uh, who know and love the Lord Jesus, uh, in part because it explains to us what he has come into the world to do. He sort of uh, explains, Luke does, in this uh, summary chapter, uh, really the whole of the gospel to this point. And that's what we'll be thinking about this morning. Uh, Let me get you to bow your heads with me as we pray. And I want to pray especially for uh, Chip Sayers' wife, Amy. Uh, She is with her uh, father, who is very ill, and I'd like to pray for uh, Amy and for her dad as we open our sermon this morning. Let's pray. Uh, Sovereign God, we thank you very much for this chance to be together. We thank you, Lord, that we can pray to you about big things and small things, uh, global things and deeply personal things. We pray for our sister uh, Amy uh, Sayers uh, in Lexington today with her father. Uh, Lord, we know he's unwell. We pray you'd comfort Amy, uh, comfort her family, comfort her dad. Uh, Be very, very close to them, we pray, Father, and send them your sovereign word to encourage them. Uh, And and please especially remind Amy's dad of all the promises of Jesus. And Father, we pray the same thing for one another, that you'd please help each one of us here today, here in this room and online, uh, to have the gift of your Spirit to pry open our ears and hearts so that we might, Father, hear your word, believe it, obey it, and rejoice in it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you would, open to that passage which Neha read for us, Luke chapter 22. I'm going to make reference to the whole chapter, but I'm particularly going to focus on the uh, verses 35 to 37. But uh, let's look briefly at, at really this whole chapter as a summary of this whole book to this point. Uh, The work of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus come into the world to do? We get to know him by paying close attention to what he did and what he said. So what is it that Jesus came into the world to do? Well, the Gospel of Luke opens by helping us to understand that Jesus came with a purpose that was given to him beforehand, which was to manifest the kingdom of God. God's kingdom had been promised in the, in the Old Testament scriptures, and Jesus, according to Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 33, came to uh, proclaim and announce and initiate this kingdom. We're part of this kingdom. It began with his coming into the world, and it continues to this day. We're, we're still living in the unfolding of Christ's kingdom. And according to the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, uh, there will one day be a perfect consummation of the kingdom when it becomes revealed in its fullness, its completeness. Um, And we'll read about that one of these days as we look at uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, According to Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 15, and then 42 through 44, 
uh, the Lord Jesus came into the world to preach. Um, he came into the world to preach, uh, to teach the Word of God with application. That's kind of what preaching is, to, to teach the Bible, uh, the gospel with application, intense, urgent application. And Jesus came to do that. And right through the Gospel of Luke, we see again and again uh, the Lord opening the Old Testament Scriptures, opening uh, to explain what God had revealed in the Bible and applying it in a way which He alone could apply it because He had absolute authority. And so He came to preach uh, with authority this, this Gospel message. And we won't really understand Jesus if we don't see how urgent this message was to Him. There were times in His ministry where He actually quit doing work which we might have thought was more important, for instance, healing sick people. He would, he would quit the ministry of healing sick people for a time to go and preach. And I don't know, to, to me that seems like He's moving from something really, really urgent to something less urgent. But that's not the way Jesus saw it. And actually, we shouldn't see it that way either. There is nothing more urgent than to preach, proclaim God's Word with application. There is nothing more important or more urgent than that. And we see that in what Jesus Himself did. Thirdly, He came to give us an example. We see this over and over again right through the the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 31, and chapter 14, verses 25 to 27, Uh, Jesus talks to his disciples about following his example, taking up the cross as he did. And as a matter of fact, according to Jesus, that's kind of the essence of the Christian life. That's taking up our cross and following him, following his example. And so one of the things he did when he came into the world was give us this perfect example. Uh, And then fourth, the Lord Jesus came into the world to call, train, commission, and deploy. I think this is really worth pondering as we prepare to look at the last few passages in the Gospel of Luke because this is really at the heart of what Jesus came into the world to do. He came to manifest the kingdom which involves people. He came to preach to people. He came to give an example to people. And his ministry involved from the very beginning this idea of calling and training and commissioning, deploying his servants. So in Luke chapter 5 verses 1 to 11, he's, he's calling. In chapter 6 verses 12 to 16, he's calling. Chapter 9 verse 1 through 6. In chapter 10 verses 1 to 4, he's sending, he's commissioning. He's sending his servants with an important urgent responsibility. What was that responsibility? It was to preach, to proclaim the message of the gospel. And as we come to these final chapters, all of this forms the background. And Luke 22 includes instances of all of that. We have instances of Jesus' teaching. He explains, for instance, the significance of the Passover. The Passover, which had been embedded, enshrined in Judaism for centuries. Jesus comes to explain the ultimate meaning of the Passover. He explains uh, about the, the very significance of his own life and experience at that moment. Uh, 
He's teaching, he's preaching, he's explaining. And as he does that, he's training. He's preparing you and me to understand our ministry. Because if we don't understand his ministry, we're not going to understand our ministry. We might get very, very distracted. And I think, sadly, the church is full of examples of well-intended Christians who get very distracted because we don't pay attention closely enough to what Jesus himself did. And his priorities should and must be our priorities. The disciple follows the teacher. And so Luke chapter 22 makes that very, very plain. But finally, Luke chapter 22 teaches us maybe the most surprising thing. Jesus was born in order to die. He came into the world in order to die. Not only to die, he he taught, he preached, he gave an example, he called, trained, commissioned. But he came primarily to fulfill all those other things through his death. See, it's not like these are five totally separate, disconnected things. His death is the exclamation point to his teaching. His death is the proclamation, the revelation of the key moment in the kingdom. His death on the cross, which we'll look at over the next uh, Sunday or two and then Good Friday, uh, we'll be looking at the, the significance of his death for us. He died to help train, commission, and deploy you and me. Jesus came to die. In order to to accomplish the other things he was here to do, he had to die. As has already been said, David mentioned it earlier, and Larry said so just now in our prayer. Jesus' death was not an accident. It was not something that, that he stumbled along and bumped into. It wasn't a sad part of his life. It was actually a central part of his life and something which had been foretold from the very beginning. From the very beginning of the gospel, there were these references to what Jesus came into the world to do, which included dying. He came to die. And he himself gives voice to this in this interesting section, uh, chapter 22, verse 37. Let me just draw your attention. This is, this is a place where Jesus is summing up his ministry. He says, I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. Then he turns to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12. For he was numbered with the transgressors. What Jesus came to do was to be numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me, he says, has its fulfillment. Here in the very climatic moment in the New Testament, in the very climatic moment in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus describes his own ministry in terms of being numbered with the sinners, the transgressors. In other words, he came to be numbered with us. He came to take the place of the transgressor. Now it's interesting, when Jesus is coming here to describe what he has come to the point of doing, he looks to the Bible. He himself looks to the Old Testament, to a prophet who wrote 700 years before he lived, almost a thousand years earlier, 
700 plus years, uh, Jesus looks to this Old Testament prophet to describe and define and explain what he was doing as he made his way to the cross. He was actually identifying with us. He said himself that the scripture had to be fulfilled. And in fact, he says it has been fulfilled. It has its fulfillment as he makes his way to the cross. Jesus died to fulfill a plan. It wasn't a happenstance. It wasn't an accident. It was actually God's plan from the very beginning. In fact, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where we meet the snake, we talked about the snake last Sunday, the snake that Paul saw there in uh, the uh, last chapter of the book of Acts. Uh, In the last uh, sermon, we heard references to the What was it? Snake, boom, wow. Uh, Well, that was a reference to the snake. All the way back in the book of Genesis, the early chapters, the snake makes his appearance. He is the representation of the power of darkness in the world. He came to bring temptation to the world. And there is in the rest of the Bible this interaction between men and Satan. Over and over again, this reference to this ongoing conflict is described. And here it is in the book of Luke. Satan shows up. He's, he's in the background. And he is the source of lying and deceiving and, and leading people further and further away from the God who loves them. And that's our experience too. We're also subject to the temptations of this world. We're also subject to the temptations of Satan. The power of Satan is something we know about, we've experienced. Jesus lived through that. Luke describes it, his own temptation. Jesus was tempted as we're tempted, but Jesus withstood the temptation. And so he comes here to this last chapter and he's engaging with Satan. The, the, the same Satan who is described in, Acts, in uh, Genesis chapter 3 is here in the last few chapters of Luke, this ongoing conflict. Jesus came to fulfill a promise and a warning in Genesis chapter 3. Jesus came to fulfill the promise God had made that though the the snake would uh, wound him, uh, the son, yet he would kill Satan. He would overcome Satan. And we discover this next, in these last few chapters, that that's what Christ came to do. Everything else had been leading to this point, and everything else finds its ultimate significance in this point. Jesus came to accomplish all of this, to die for us. The Shorter Catechism, question 25, says How doth Christ execute the office of a priest? Answer, Christ executeth the office of a priest in his once offering up of himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God and in making continual intercession for us. That's what Jesus' death accomplished. He satisfies divine justice. He satisfies the curse of Genesis 3. And by doing so, he reconciles us to God himself. He makes it possible for sinners like you and me to have a relationship with God through Christ. And all of this, according to Luke, 
This is what Christ came to do, and it involves necessarily his death and his being identified with sinners like us. Why is this important? Why does, why does Luke go on in, in such detail about what Christ came to do? Well, there are a number of reasons, I think. For sure, one reason is this. You know, you and I like to think in terms of snake boom wow. And I, I loved last Sunday's sermon. I, I, Zach's a, one of my favorite preachers. I love listening to him. He has a wonderful way with words and a great ability, I think, to faithfully teach the scriptures. And he gave a wonderful example of snake boom wow, where we saw in this small act of God's sovereign grace, Paul withstanding the attack of the snake. And just a, a little glimpse in a suburban environment like ours where God made himself known. And we are moved with wow. And I agree with uh, Zach as well that we all too often don't expect the wows that we should expect. The amazing realization of God's power. That's absolutely true. I agree with that. And it's worth contemplating. But it's also worth contemplating. I think it's essential to understand that there wouldn't be a snake boom wow if there had not first been a snake boom ow. There had to be this moment where Christ took upon himself the penalty, the punishment. It was in his experience of death that he opened life to us by taking upon himself the judgment we deserve, the satisfying the divine justice, reconciling us to God, making it possible for sinners like us to experience our own wow moments. As you go along in the Christian life, I think the wows help prepare us for the inevitable ows. The Christian life involves suffering and pain. The Christian life is not a series of unending wows, is it? You don't have to be a Christian for very long to realize that what Jesus endured has something to do with what we endure. I mean, the, the descriptions of Jesus' prayers, uh, the, the, the power that uh, was in his prayers on the Mount of Olives in verses 39 to 45, he's, he's praying with, and he, he wants to pray with his disciples and they, they get tired and they quit praying. But Jesus prayed on. There's an example for us to pray on, to, to trust the one who prays for us. He prayed for us then, he prays for us now. And so our prayers fold into his prayers. Our prayers find voice in his prayers And he did that by dying for us. He took on himself what we owed. Well, we're not going to understand Good Friday. We're not going to understand Easter until we understand the great owl that Christ endured. Luke describes it. The the mockery, the cruel judgment, the harsh words, the beating, the evil that was done to Jesus. He took all that on himself in order to identify with us, to be numbered among us. That makes it possible for us to be numbered with him. In order to work through us, Jesus first had to work for us. In order to work through us, 
He has to work among us. He has to work in us. He makes it possible for sinners like you and me to be his cross-bearing disciples, witnessing to him. And that's, that was the last thing he says to them in uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Is, as he's preparing to go himself into heaven, his parting words to them and through them to us is that we would be his witnesses. We would tell the world about his ministry, his life, his death, and his resurrection. So Luke is setting the stage for us to understand what Jesus is about to do on the cross and in the empty tomb and what we are called to do as we follow Christ. And in just a moment, we're going to gather at this table. We'll be gathering at this table to remember what Jesus did, to remember his suffering, to remember the hardship that he endured. And then on the basis of that, we will give him thanks for the life that he gives us, that he makes it possible for us to have in the midst of the crazy world where we live. So whatever your situation, whether you've got a sick family, whether you're facing illness yourself, whether you've got financial hardship, whatever you're suffering at the moment, in the midst of it all, we hang on to Christ. We hang on to the one to suffer and die for us, to make it possible for us to know the fullness of life in him.